everyone. Welcome to this Friday's edition of Capital Sports 2.0. I'm Alan Moore, your nominal host, shall we say. Uh, I'm, we've put uh, Alex B into witness protection. We can't say where he is. We can't show his um, face after the plastic surgery. But we do know he's well. Uh, you're still alive and well, Alex, yeah? I'm fine, thank you. Okay. Uh, you, you, you started taking the, the thing to change the voice as well, I hear. No, I just got sick from some, I don't know, some Georgian disease. Andy Mack, Andy, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Had a, had a bit of a breather out the countryside, so my, my lockdown has um, gone back into full swing back in the city centre. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. Andrew Flint, you're fitting well? Ah, uh, certainly am. Got my uh, St. Pat's mug, so yeah, was good. Excellent. And then moving across to, uh, well, to Dublin, to Isolt. Cody Isolt, welcome on again. Good evening from a very sunny and lovely Dublin. Oh, gee, don't depress us. It's been, we've had like, they said four. Pushing it down here. Yeah, Ooh, terrible. Though. Terrible. Terrible. It's fantastic here. It's actually too warm. <laughs> <laughs> it, that means it's 15 degrees in Dublin, so everyone's walking around with <laughs> off, you know? pretty much. <laughs> uh, and Andrew Flint, what's it like out in Siberia? Snow, bears, uh, uh, absolutely glorious. The the bears are keeping their distance. Um, sky's blue. Um, yeah, it's all good. I mean, we we have probably a fair fair number more pigeons here than we do uh, than you do in Dublin. Um, the, the pigeon terrorist himself has been training for weeks, as we know. So, but over here we don't have such um, such abuse of pigeons. So, yeah, we're okay here. Okay, Alex B. I know you can't tell us where exactly you're located right now because the FBI are trying to protect you. Um, but how is the weather where you are? Not too hot, not too cold. It's just perfect to be outside. But but I can't because of the virus and the protection program. Kick off right away, of course, the English Premier League has announced the date of return and we kind of know when everyone's coming back and what's happening. Questions raised about the Champions League final that is going to be moved away from the uh, from Istanbul. Um, and lots of other news, of course, happening as well, including players falling foul of the law over tax not being paid. Alex B's predictions um, for the NHL coming true. MLB, that's majorly baseball players, starting to go on strike, uh, or threatening to go on strike, I should say. And, of course, um, transgender athletes kind of being put into a lane or even a league of their own. But we're going to start off with um, Andrew Flint, and he's going to talk about the coronavirus-ridden Russian Premier League, which is due to come back four Russian players for Lokomotiv Moscow sick. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dmitry Baranov, probably the highest profile one to, to pick it up recently. Um, there's been, the, the Russian Premier League have set up a specific task force to aid discussion between medical experts, um, the lawmakers and club doctors as well. So, I mean, that's a mildly positive step. But, you know, as you guys will be only too well aware, in Moscow there were, I think yesterday, was it 2,300 new cases were recorded? Um, and it's still it's still not looking like slowing down desperately. Um, so exactly how many more cases we will get before the 21st of June when we're due to kick off again, I'm certain will be plenty more. Um, and at the moment, 
only tactic appears to be simply to force those people into self-isolation. Pavel Pogrebniak, for example, in uh, at Oralia Katzenberg is seriously ill. It's just, it's not going to go away and it's only going to add to those voices who are calling for, you know, slightly different action to be taken. And, and worst of all, I think, is the news about the uh, fans being allowed into stadiums. I believe it's up to 10% of capacity. Andy, Mike, you brought that up um, before we went on air. The 10% of the stadium capacity can be filled with fans. Now, um, <clears throat> for example, some uh, commentators have kind of questioned it, said we don't know if that's right. EO President Ilya Gurko said, well, you know, if it's done correctly, it should be okay. 10% is not that much. It's a bit of a risk though, isn't it? It is a risk. I, I don't see it being a risk once people are inside the stadium. I think 10% you can easily social distance. I don't know what it would offer really to the atmosphere, but I mean, it's tickets being bought on the door. I'm sure they can probably increase prices um, as I'm absolutely certain that people will be chomping at the bit to get back and seeing live football. Uh, a couple of countries are attempting this at the moment. So I think um, certainly in the Czech League 2, uh, yesterday there was a game between Ushti Nadlebem and Brno. They had limited spectators. I believe in Hungary today, there's also limited spectators. Um, so Russia have at least got three, four weeks to, to have a look at how that's working, whether there's a, a spike. But I mean, these countries are well, well ahead uh, of Russia in terms of the cycle and dealing with this. Yeah. Um, well, well ahead of being um, in lockdown before we were. It's the, I think the biggest risk, especially in Moscow, uh, potentially St. Petersburg as well, is, is, is the transportation that people use in order to get to the grounds. I mean, 10% of one of the main stadiums here, you're looking at 3,500 people all going in the same direction at the exact same time. If you're looking at you know, certain metro stations and lines, crossovers, the changing points, uh, there's not that much space. Um, Park Kultura used to be the main culprit for Champions League nights with CSKA and Spartak. It's impossible to social distance on that platform, all yeah. going in the same direction. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult enough as it is. And now, interesting on the Moscow Metro, I've noticed they've started to remove the signage, including even for seat spacing. And you can see people, it's kind of people have, have maybe taken the foot off the gas a, a wee bit. Um, I don't know, but as Andrew rightly pointed out, we did have a, a little bump up in terms of deaths and illnesses. Um, and of course, on Monday, we we're going to be allowed to go out at certain times of the day to walk around Moscow. Uh, those of us who are responsible, those who have to work, we have to do that anyway. But then, of course, we have, uh, as Andy Mack would kindly say, the cock fumbles just don't seem to be learning. And this is where the greatest issue is coming. Andrew, uh, from one bunch of cockwombles to another bunch of cockwombles over in the English Premier League. We've had an announcement today that six games, uh, well, up to six games at least, will be moved or most likely be moved to neutral venues. They're basically talking about policing. So the issue around, and when the coronavirus pandemic started and we were looking at those last few European games when 40,000 Atalanta fans gathered around um, outside the stadium, uh, Valencia, I believe, as well as another. They're worried about that sort of situation happening again. So um, Manchester City and Liverpool, Manchester City, Newcastle, Manchester United, Sheffield United, Newcastle, Liverpool, Everton, Liverpool, and the game which could decide the title for Liverpool all being mooted to uh, move to neutral venues. But uh, 17th of June, which is only three weeks away, is when we're due to start. Um, and 
yeah, it's, it's, it's moving ahead. And a lot of people still not happy. And I think we're going to see more and more people follow the examples of, uh, of the players uh, and managers who've already said, look, we're not going to force you to come in. Um, I mean, Troy Dean is the name we've mentioned a few times already, um, but I think we'll see more come along. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the latest. They're in moves for the neutral venues, which uh, I, I can understand the logic behind it. Um, and I think at this point, sporting integrity has gone out the window already. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the empty stadiums and the different attitudes of players and staff between clubs means it just isn't a balance. So I don't think there's any point trying to bang that drum too hard because it just simply isn't going to happen. It is not the same season. It isn't going to Liverpool need two wins, six points to clinch the title. Uh, and at the same time today, Gary Lineker was out saying about how great it is and we're, it's okay to say you're happy for football to be back. Of course, they're kind of angling the mental health uh, side of it. And of course, a uh, big thing that he's happy with is that there's going to be four live Premier League games on BBC. Now, this is something major. This is the first time since the Premier League has begun, I believe, because before that, I yeah. had the live, live games in the Premier League. Um, Bayern, of course, took a huge step towards the Bundesliga title, for what it's worth, beating uh, Dortmund 1 0 during the week. Uh, Bayern had that uh, stitched up, don't they? Yeah, um, I, I think that was that was the clincher really for Bayern. Um, Dortmund huffed and puffed, had a few chances. I mean, the big one for me, and you know, I, we could argue to the cows come home about VAR, but the one with uh, Jeremy Boateng's elbow uh, on the floor preventing Haaland's shot, which was clearly on target, and then Dortmund taking a short corner quickly uh, straight after it, which effectively means that VAR as a protocol is over. Uh, the referee can't then revert back to it. I mean, I mean, if they take if, if there'd have been eighty-one thousand video referees in the stands that day, the referee would have been checking it because I'm certain somebody in the crowd would have seen it, uh, and certainly you would have heard them appealing it. That could sway. That could sway the tide. I mean, Bayern had their chances. They missed a few. They missed a few biggies as well. But yeah. uh, with with rugby, I think they're allowed a number of phases or a number of minutes. Yeah. I think. They, they, they can technically back go ready. back. So let's say if you have a rugby call, Unless for example. Yeah, so in rugby, if you have, let's say, a try, there's no limit on how far in the plays up past the last stoppage of the ball, essentially, that you can go back. So you can go back to a line-out that happened four yeah. or five minutes ago if that's where there was a potential. The ref could have gone, oh, I didn't feel like calling it, but now that I've the chance. So I think VAR has, it puts a much more immediacy on the decision which is a good thing because it means you can't just decide five minutes later oh let's go back for this but it also puts a bit too much pressure I think because if you make the wrong if you pose the wrong question to VAR and they make the wrong decision because they're also going we're under time pressure whereas TMOs take all the time in the world It's a tough one if you compare say to American football where the flag will come in right away and they 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 will immediately go to look at it that's cleared it up. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Result. The Spanish League, uh, it's a two-horse race. Um, at this point, I think it, it's probably going to be difficult to see past. I mean, Real Madrid kind of stuttered a little bit. Uh, Barcelona, two points ahead. 11 games remaining. I, I Personally, I, I think I'd, I'd have to be, be siding just slightly with Barcelona myself. Real Madrid took so long to get momentum up in that season. I think the break when when they stopped in March, I think has probably just taken the, the, the pace out of them a little bit. And it'll be interesting 
and in terms, I, I think Real Madrid, uh, Barcelona will be better at dealing with the the aspect of having well, the side of having no spectators in it. I think they'll wear down teams anyway, regardless. Yeah. I think the Bernabeu perhaps has a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a cauldron sort of atmosphere, and um, I, I think that will have a heavy impact. Certainly, uh, you look at the Bundesliga so far. Uh, I think there have been twenty-seven home games uh, games played, um, and only eighteen or just under nineteen percent of those games have been won by the home team so far. Yeah, uh, which is massive considering yeah. it was. Uh, it's almost two thirds. I think before this break came in. 55? Something like 66 or uh, really? just about 66% of, of teams are winning their home games. Yeah. And now it's just under 19%. Um, so clearly the, the no spectators side to it is, is having a big impact. Um, and I think that may benefit Barcelona more than it will Real Madrid. Okay. Uh, over in Italy, of course, the man with the magic man bun like yourself, uh, Ibrahimovic, he's uh, out Looks like it's his his career will be finished. I read a report uh, in one Italian sort uh, outlet saying that that's it. The injuries had it, he won't come back from it. But of course, you know Ibrahimovic is a guy who put on weight and muscled up while still doing full cardio for a season. But sure, no questions asked. Um, in Italy, it's Juve again. Well, it's so close um, this season, but yeah, um, I, you you can't really. You couldn't really say anybody else, to be honest. There, uh, I mean, Lazio have been absolutely fantastic this season. I think when you bring it down to individuals, uh, and also the fact that you've got the Coppa Italia starting before the league as well, as we go back in, I think that will give Juve and a couple of clubs a little bit of a boost just to get back into rhythm again. Uh, and I think they'll probably kick on from there. Um, it'd be fantastic to see someone break the cycle for Juve, but I mean. Pfft, no offence, Lazio fans, if you're listening, but I really don't want them to win either. No, 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 no. Nazis were defeated in 1945. We don't need to win again. Um, <laughs> moving quickly on uh, to something else that needs a lot of scrutiny. Uh, Isolt, uh, you, you, well, I want to ask it straight away. I want to ask about Diego Costa and his legal problems, but I won't for the moment. Transgender athletes, huge issue. Questions that really a lot of people don't want to answer, don't want to approach. If you're a man asking questions, you're wrong. If you're a woman asking questions, you're wrong. So we'll let you ask the questions because you're a woman. So it's less, it's less stress for us. <laughs> the, I, I think we're in a very weird position where no matter who, as you put it, no matter who is asking the question, unless you're a trans athlete, you're apparently not entitled to have a voice on it, which I can understand to one extent. But the difficulty is we're now falling into a position more and more where the issue is arising as to can you discriminate against transgender athletes at every stage? So we're talking about the case that has recently arose. It's actually a policy decision to do with high school students in in the US. Policy was in place where they had essentially said that students could compete. There would be no discrimination in their competing in the gender they identify as. So the idea being to have a more, not necessarily level in terms of their physical capabilities, but level in terms of if you identify as a girl as a teenager in the US, in high school, you can compete as a girl. The difficulty was a number of students who were biologically female took issue with this and there was a subsequent um, policy decision made based on the fact that 
the school's policy contradicts a part nine federal position, federal law, where it basically protects the rights of women to compete against women. And so essentially, the federal law has decided that it's discriminating against those who may later decide to identify it's all about biology. And I see the point of view of the athletes who are female biologically because there is a difference in the physical capabilities. Yeah. They're also teenagers. So I also think you have to consider that these are not girls who have undergone or shouldn't have in a teenage high school situation any form of hormone treatment. In my opinion, they shouldn't at that stage. If they have, that may mean that their testosterone levels are suppressed, as was the position that the IAAF or IAAF even are trying to implement now in the wake of the CAS uh, ruling on Castor Semenya. But we're talking about teenagers and the thing this is going to bring a floodgate down on is if other states are looking at their similar policies for schools, their similar, obviously federal law is going to come into play everywhere. And then we have to look at when they get to college stage and there is the possibility of hormone treatment being a more across the board issue. The problem is we're talking mostly about uh, or about biological females and people who identify as female. There's a few cases of men, but they're obviously, for obvious reasons, they're not generally turning up in the high competitive levels if they are females now identifying as men. Yeah, I mean, uh, what, you, what you mentioned is the, the Title IX, the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the US federal law, which... Uh, guarantees that there's equal rights for men for female athletes. I mean, it's, it's a terrific thing they brought in, uh, which also goes all the way through schools and universities where a scholarship, it was a full scholarship for uh, a male, you know, American footballer. It has to be the equivalent for a female. For a female, yeah. So you can't have one without the other, which, you know, it, it, it's, I think it's, it's perfectly correct. Um, we discussed, of course, in studio, the boys remember when we discussed Castor Semenya and her physiology and how technically she's a man, but not quite a man, and the inside testicles and so on. So I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's very difficult. To she re- she <coughs> reaches certain criteria. There is, there are a standard of criteria, and she has certain, and then not others. And I suppose in her case, yes, while there were questions being asked, you have to go, was this something that was identified at a younger age? And it was only when the question was probably posed in Berlin through the testing procedure that this came to the fore for her. Um, I think she has to be, the hyper-androgynous athletes have to be differentiated from athletes who are now choosing to identify to a certain extent. Uh, Because if they're choosing... hmm, I agree with you on that. I also think we can't exactly be critical of people who drafted law not seeing this instance. They thought they were going by, they were basically feeling they were only looking to protect biological women in the sense of protecting their rights to equal opportunities as regards compared with biological men. They definitely didn't see this coming, but this is a live issue that more and more needs to be addressed. And I think CAS have done a woeful job of addressing it with Castor. I, think, I don't think that by any means is the finished decision. I think we'll see that going to the Swiss federal court. Yeah, I think I think it's going to get worse um, in terms of like the, the bickering and the sort of the lack of clarity because again, you know, Castor Semenya in her everyday life identifies 
as uh, well. She's she's married. She's a married woman uh, to her <laughs> wife, um, and identifies dresses and behave like calls herself a man. She like in in real life, but is technically under certain criteria a woman. So I think I mentioned this before, but a, a young tennis player who was, um, yeah, her um, chose to have the operation at 18 to become a full woman. And, you know, there was scandal. And the worst thing was the other the female tennis players around her, the other girls on the tour, isol- isolated her and ostracized her. But they, they, there was this kind of like a, a bullying that went on that made it very, very difficult for her. No one wanted to be friends with her. No one wanted to speak with her. It was quite terrible. So on that side, I think, oh, this is like a, you know, someone who was born with both genitalia, was a woman. So I don't know how to fix, I don't know how that that one could be addressed. I think the big, the big thing has to be that the essential idea behind anything there, that any policy that comes in has to be to find fairness between the rights of athletes to compete and the rights of, I, I, I understand entirely someone identifying as a particular gender, but then we have to look at that in the context maybe of a differentiation between amateur sport and when it gets to professional level and when there is work involved there's financial implications there are sponsorships are you taking away the opportunities of someone else because unless you're and i don't agree with the hormone suppression option as a nuclear option but unless you're doing that you have an advantage or if you're competing in weightlifting let's face it we all know when we have seen the australia or the kiwi weightlifter yeah when we see her you're going even if she's taking hormone suppressants she has muscle memory and a skeletal advantage over most women i know far a few far a few in the midlands but that's a separate (laughs) issue (laughs) now we'll go from uh, transgender politics and issues to well wherever he's hiding right now alex b first i want to ask you that in in canada would you ever feel open if you're discussing sports with like in a group of uh, students or people, would you feel comfortable discussing trans athletes or would you feel a bit, uh, it would be kind of a not done deal over in Canada? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird territory for sure. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'd be super comfortable talking, like trying not to offend anyone at the same time, you know, as we've discussed the, um, like the lady who made the transition into MMA, into women's MMA after she, her body fully developed as, as a man. And so after that, there was a lot of injuries. So like, obviously I can't really support something like that happening because, you know, for the safety of other women, but at the same time, it's, I would, I would hate to restrict anybody from doing what they want to do. But that's, you see, you're spot on. There's also, there was always a case of Lucia Riker, the uh, Dutch, a boxer, female boxer, who she, there were so many questions about her, whether she was a man, like a, a trans athlete and so on. Uh, they parodied it, parodied it, sorry, in a number of different movies and sort of also put into um, Million Dollar Baby where, give you your, your uh, credit, you called the NHL perfectly correct. What's happening in there right now? Remind us. Well, I, didn't, I didn't call it. They, they posted it up in advance what they were going to do. So I just announced. Oh, doing. you mean you, you conned us. You told, you told us you, you advised but, us. But look, I did. I did um, the, the one hot take was that the NBA was going to do the same thing. We still don't know. 
season. The regular season is done and dusted. So they're planning to have a 24-team tournament playoffs. Uh, they claim no later than July 1st. So uh, practices are going to start in June. So probably they're going to try to kick off the season in June. But 24 teams, that's the vast majority of the league. It's a lot of teams. Yeah, I think there's only 31 teams altogether. And they're going to hold it, if I'm right, they're going to hold it in one or two cities, base cities. Like, sort of, uh, They've named the cities and they're going to play them in those areas. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I'm not actually sure which cities they have in mind here. But yeah, that would be, they'll probably be the best solution. That's what everybody's doing. Again, NBA, you called it right. They're going to host it down in Disney World. But MLS, the Major League Soccer, look like going to do the same again. Uh, MLS is in talks with Disney, and they're planning to join the NBA in Disney World in Orlando. So, yeah, it could be. This is going to be strange. It's going to be like the. It's going to be like an Olympic Village, except <laughs> the stakes aren't as high. And <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of athletes at Disney World. If, everything goes through and the national women's soccer league is going to start June 27th in, in Salt Lake city, Utah. Oh, that's going to be fun. Like you said, like it's an, oh, yeah. yeah, that, that, that's 25 uh, game tournament. Oh no. Please tell me they're not going to have pizza as team food. Oh, this is going down a bad, bad road. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we have to remind listeners that, um, of course, Alex B's uh, throwaway comment of who we'd want to assassinate um, turned out to be quite a good issue for us to have uh, covered because we had objections. So on behalf of Capital Sports 2.0, Alex was just, I asked him a simple question, a theoretical question of if you had to do an ultimate capital punishment or, this is on the context of a movie that I had just thought about when we're discussing that NBA would be there, that the terrorists would take over the basketball village, <laughs> they would, you know, hold out to ransom. And Alex suggested shooting a Georgia basketball player. Yeah, it wasn't the fact that, you know, Alex is not planning to do this. He's not advocating for this. It was just, yeah, it was just an idea in theory. So, um, Alex, overall, what... We're we're not stirring up old conflicts, are we? No, no, no. (laughs) Just checking. I just wanted to check. This just has really, really dark conversations for me of, this is how I would have done it. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. Don't publish a book. This is how I would have done it, Alex. Whatever you do. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like, if, if something, God forbid, something did happen to that fella, like, you know, like, you know, Alex is, oh, toast. Murder, he wrote. <laughs> yeah. it, oh, I like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, Alex, it, it, what else is happening in the world of uh, UFC? Because are they still going on with events? Because I saw that Conor McGregor has been nominated for a catchweight. Ah, yes, yes. So the new biggest uh, news has been, um, well, Conor McGregor, he posted his list of the greatest of all time. And, I mean, personally, I don't agree. I think he disrespected Fedor Yamalenenko with that list by not including him. But he had Anderson Silva number one, and then he put himself as tying with Anderson Silva. So then he said he, or, or that he could be number one. He hadn't fully decided whether he, he was number one. That was his hint towards modesty. Uh, humility so Anderson Silva challenged Conor McGregor and Conor McGregor promptly responded that he's he's we're ready to fight so that would mean so um well first of all Anderson Silva has fought his whole life at middleweight Conor McGregor is a lightweight he went up to welterweight at 170 I think once and he lost in eight Diaz 
So right now he's challenging the champion at welterweight, Kamaru Usman, for the title. But at the same time, he's challenging Anderson Silva. So I actually think that this isn't a bad fight because Anderson Silva still has two fights in his contract. What this is this is a good way to spend one of them, and plus Conor McGregor he would he would have to go up to about one seventy seven, and because that's about as far as Anderson Silva is willing to go, so it's going to be a tough tough road for Conor McGregor to go up and Anderson Silva to go down for them to meet there. But I think that if Conor McGregor wins this, that could give him a good. That, that, that would be a good case for him to challenge Kamar Usman because I, I don't think right now he deserves that title opportunity more than other Walter Whites. And after that, maybe he can take on Khabib or whoever it is. Isod wants to jump in on that. Now, we've, we've, we're, we're going to go to a break no. for 50 seconds. Isod, you, you, were, you were indicating that you – do you agree or disagree with Alex? I, oh, no. Alex is making very fair points. I would like Conor McGregor to go to Fight Island, not fight anyone and just stay there. But <laughs> I, he doesn't deserve a shot at a title and Anderson Silva would murder him. Because there's no way, unless Anderson loses a leg, there's going to be a disparity. Alex, can you oblige? I just think Anderson Silva, you know, he's 44 years old. There's going to be that age difference. So there's could the go main, in and sit on him. Yeah, right. So I think Conor McGregor, I don't think if he's going to be losing on speed, but he's definitely going to be losing power and he's going to be losing in reach. Yeah. So if he can overcome that with his sort of, because youth is on his side here again, so maybe he can overcome that with, I don't know. But at the same time, Anderson Silva is probably like one of, he's the best middleweight of all time. He has a very strong case for the greatest of all time. Guys, we're going to go out to a break right now. So, uh...